Welcome to the podcast series about why loneliness is becoming a health issue in Canada and what can we do about it. My name is Heather Keem from Tamarack Institute and today we're going to be talking with Margaret Young, founder of Age Noble, a social enterprise that promotes knowledge on positive and healthy aging, advocates rights of older persons and provides consulting services to organizations that serve the interests of old persons. While Age Noble is a young Canadian startup, Margaret has been working and volunteering in the age field for more than 10 years. Today, we're going to be talking about the link between seniors and loneliness. I've recently read a book called The Careless Society, Community and Its Counterfeits by John McKnight. The book talks about how our aging population is increasing, and this in turn results in the increased professionalization of those who are caring for our seniors. The book then talks about how seniors are seen as a problem. And when we see a problem, we produce more services. The act of classifying seniors as problems defines seniors as less productive or non-productive. Our discussion with Margaret today is going to be helping us understand the link between seniors and loneliness and how we can change our, think- our thinking so that seniors are seen as productive and value in our communities. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you. Great to be here, Heather. Great. Um, I actually just want to ask a question because when you sent me your intro, you talk about older persons and I use seniors. Can we just talk about the, the language? Yeah. So it's, thank you for that question. It's a very important one about language. So when we use the word senior as an adjective, you know, uh, it's actually a good thing when we talk about, for example, senior cabinet ministers in the government, senior vice president of the company or seniors in high school. So it's really a good thing. And that's how come originally the term senior citizen came to be in the 1930s. You know, it talked to, you know, it refers to someone who has raised a family, who worked, and it's then retired, and then enjoying kind of like the fruits of labors in the elder years. So it's really meant to be a good thing. But over time, instead of the positive, the term senior citizen or senior became a label that's associated more with the negatives of aging and old age. You know, things like being vulnerable, inactive, and impaired. And this is because it's how we see ourselves as we, you know, think what aging would be like, that it's going to be retired and done. It's not until we have more people who are age 55, 65 plus, more and more in that population in number, as well that we're living much longer lives, that we begin to see the diversity and appreciate the possibilities of how we all can age differently, you know, physically, mentally, spiritually. And that, you know, despite what the number is in terms of what our age is, then we realize, oh, a label such as senior is too broad because it could be anyone from, you know, age 50, 55 who get a senior discount to someone who's, a, uh, who's like 105 years old. So it doesn't work. And that's how come we start moving toward the term older because I can be older than someone else in chronological age, but being older doesn't imply anything about my abilities, my attitudes or how I behave. So this is why today we see the term older adults, older persons, or older people being used more and more often. Great. So let's move on to what is the link between seniors and loneliness? So maybe we'll just start off quickly and just chat a bit about loneliness and and what loneliness means. So loneliness is really a a subjective feeling. It's very personal. So how you and I can view loneliness uh, is different. So for example, even if we're twins, we grew up in the same city, we go to the same school, I I might be someone who needs to have social contact every day. I need to talk to you every day versus you're someone who might say, well, talking to Margaret once a week is enough. So what we expect and want out of relationships, social relationships is very different. When we experience that discrepancy, when I'm not getting my daily chat with you, and if it's for a long period of time, let's say if I move to another town and I can't get hold of you for some reason, then that loneliness set in. 
So once again, so loneliness is really subjective feeling that's personal at the personal level. And so when we talked earlier, you talked about a story about Anna. Can you tell your story about Anna and that might help us to explain the link? Yeah, that's great. I'll do that. So Anna is actually a hypothetical person, but it's really interesting because she actually embodies a lot of the attributes that might put someone more at risk of being lonely. So Anna is someone who is 85 years old. She lives on her own and on the third floor of a six-story apartment. She's widowed. Her husband passed away two years ago and she has, her health is generally good, which is great, but she does have, uh, she has lost her central vision because of macular degeneration. She's on a good pension because she worked till 65 when she first immigrated from Canada 40 years ago. She kept working, so she's accumulated enough for pension. So when we look at Anna's scenario and we think about loneliness, there's actually uh, three category of factors that we look at. The first one is uh, personal characteristics. The second one is personal circumstances. And then lastly is cultural value and norms. So we just maybe just walk through it a little bit using Anna's situation, we can kind of understand it better. When we talk about personal characteristics, we're really looking at someone's marital status, their health, their mobility, as well as their personal disposition in terms of how they look at things. So in Anna's case, it's it's great that she has good health. But the fact that she's lost some of her vision is problematic and it's a predisposer to loneliness. So imagine prior to macular degeneration, she can actually see the world, she can watch TV, you know, look out the window, drive to church every Sunday. She cooks and she invite, invite all her friends over for meals. Very, very active and that's how she wants and needed those type of interactions. Now that her vision has declined and she can't see, she's less able to do those things that she, she wants to do and to, to have those social connections that she wants to have. And then on top of that, her, her husband passing away two years ago made it even harder because he would have been the one who sat beside her watching TV together to explain some things to her, but now she's resort to only listening to the radio. So the, the mobility, the, the fact that she's now like a widow, those factors, those changes actually reduces her social circle and therefore increases the chance of loneliness. When I said about personal disposition toward things, and what I mean by that is, you know, it depends on whether Anna is a person who sees things as a cup half full versus a cup that's half empty. Now, if a cup that's half empty, she would be looking at her surroundings and her situation, and, and she would say, oh my goodness, I'm all by myself now. Like, why did my husband leave me? I'm abandoned. And she might then start to have thoughts that would cause her to become even more lonely because she would be more withdrawn, because she feels, it might not be true, but she feels that she's disconnected and abandoned. And because those are some of the feelings that come up when someone's lonely. And in that case, she might then spiral more down towards loneliness, so even more lonely. But on the other hand, if she's more of a cup half full type of person, she might say, you know, this is like not good. I don't like the situation. I, I want to do something about it. She might pick up the phone and talk to her kids and say, you know, I'm having problems. This is not working. You, you need to help me and so forth and go seek help. So that's really kind of the, the personal characteristics. The next part, we kind of go into personal circumstances. Then that's really, you know, the living situation, uh, the family situation, and someone's social and economic situation. So in Anna's case, uh, you know, we chatted about the fact that she's living alone. And now on top of that, though, her kids actually live in another city. So that means to connect with them, it's not as fluid. It's not as, you know, serendipitous. They probably have to schedule time together to make a call at the end of the week and whatnot. 
Anna, you know, is, is fine financially for now because her pension that she accumulated is able to meet her needs in terms of paying the rent, buying the necessities. But as things happen, she could become financially insecure. And for example, also like in the case where like we, we talked about her, her lack of mobility, that she can't go to church and then she's probably like relying on her church mates to go, you know, to drive her to church. But someone who has the means, they might choose to then be, okay, I'll go pay for a cab. But for her, she might then have to think twice about it, say, no, I don't, might not want to. I just want to save that to be my nest egg. That's how the social economic piece can also cause one to be, uh, in terms of the, their ability to be socially connected to others, like how much more additional flexibility they have. And then if they don't have that, they might then be more at risk uh, in terms of loneliness. So I just want to jump in here about family structures and how we've seen over time, family structures has changed changed. Kids used to live close to mom and dad. Now they fly the coop and they fly far, far away. And so I just thinking that that also will contribute to the family circumstances is that, you know, I can only do a phone call. I can't, if I'm living halfway around the world, I'm not be able to pick up my, my mom and take her to her appointments. That's so true, Heather. It's as we kind of, in this world, have the opportunities to grow and, and, and go to different places. It also changes our family structure a lot. And in Anna's case, because of her Italian background, where family is a very strong part of it, like in the Italian culture, like big Sunday get-togethers, multi-generational, sitting together to have pasta, spaghetti, and all the good stuff, the Italian food, and the fact that the elders are revered. So all of those are very counter to what, to your point, what she's experiencing now, where her children are so far away. So those things are around the fam, like the, the, the family type of situation that's relative to her culture specifically that makes it harder for her versus someone else in another culture where it's the uh, same circumstance where the family is far away. But if it's not as much of that whole, you know, getting together, that belonging piece in that particular culture, then the impact might not be. As and, the social, and the social network, the church group, it's so important to try. But yet, you know, you talk about the money and the financial piece. So it's so important to stay connected to those groups, but then it costs money to be connected to those groups. And then at what cost, what cost, what what cost is going to make you live longer? Well, they both are. So then how do you decide this? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Lots of choices and the tough decisions. And and that's why one of the key things is to, to, to chat, like to speak up, like, you know, when one is up against like that situation to see, you know, what, what can be helped or, you know, what other solutions there might be. Yeah. Yeah. Can we, can we just dive a bit in on the statistics of uh, loneliness and older people? You've done some, some global research. And so I just wanted to share with the, with the audience, some of the research that's out there. Right, right. So there's been a, um, a lot of different research done about, you know, really, truly how, what population, what percentage of the population of older persons are lonely. And, and, they, and they range from anywhere from 25% of the po- uh, population to 59%. And these studies would have been worldwide in the Nordic countries, North America, Asia, and so forth. But if we look at closer to home, to us here, what we found is that, if, let's say in the USA first, we'll just chat a bit about USA. The National Institute of Aging, they did a, a research back in uh, 20, like 2000 to 2008. And they found that actually 45% of older persons self-identify to be lonely, even though only 18% live alone. So it's really that interesting connection that, we, you know, sometimes we think about and we, we might assume that someone who is not, you know, who, who lives alone is automatically feeling lonely. And it's not the case. It goes back to what we said earlier from the beginning that it's really how individually we define what 
meaningful relationship means socially and how often we, we want them and then versus how often we actually get them, right? So, uh, and in Canada, uh, in, in 2013, uh, StatsCan did a study generally about a number of things. And one of the questions, one section, they asked older persons, like, do you feel lonely? And 30% actually say they feel lonely. And, and, and the older person definition here is actually individuals who are 65 plus who said, I'm lonely. So that's quite a staggering number. Imagine one out of three is saying, I'm lonely. So that's 2013. And it usually takes five years for that to go out. So you think about it, the, the rise in, in older people is going up. So I think it'd be even more scary when you look at that. It might be now one in two. Yes, it, it could well be. If we actually do some research today. So yeah, very true. Yeah. And so it just really, it really emphasizes the importance on why we need to address the loneliness issue. And so my next question for you is why should we be out there addressing loneliness and um, older people? From what I see and what I hear, that there are generally three reasons. The first one is really economics. In the UK, there was a study that was done by the Social Finance UK and Age UK to look at how many people are lonely in, the, in that country and in, in terms of older person and what are the impacts. So what they found in their study is that if, if an older person is actually consistently lonely, like for a long term, what would happen then is that they are three times more likely to suffer depression and two times more likely to then have developed dementia. And then two thirds are then starting to notice physical decline in terms of day-to-day abilities. So meaning things like walking, climbing up the stairs and doing things. And what that then means as well, you know, does diabetes, culinary heart disease, do those things set in? So there's quite a trigger effect. What's neat is that in that study, they then look at, okay, if that's a situation and they follow the cohort and say, what then happens to the health system? You know, then they measure how often, you know, more often the older person who are lonely needs to go see the GP, needs to go to the ER, and then how they actually end up like going into long-term care nursing homes sooner. So they took all that information and and they did some math to kind of quantify what does it mean to the economically the impact of the health system? And what they found is that on average, it becomes about 12,000 pounds per person over uh, 15 years. And if we translate that to Canadian dollars, that's actually $20,000 per older person over 15 years. So when we think about it, you know, we might say, oh, that's not too much. You know, you take $20,000 Canadian and you splice it over 15 years. But if we then go back to the stats can, like the the older, you know, 2013 study, that's that one of three older person feels lonely. And we overlay that in terms of the population of older person who would be lonely and do the math. What we then find is that as a total, it's about $2.6 billion a year. That's additional to our health system based on today. And then if we project outward to 2013, 2013 will be the last year where the last baby boomers turn 65. That number increases to 3.8 billion a year. There's a lot of added costs that comes with this whole loneliness factor for older person, like these this, this, this particular like dollars. And it's something that we can do to reduce that today if we choose to do something about it. Wow, that is a lot of money. And you, then you think about what could we do with that money and in other ways that are positive and I'm a health promoter from background. And I think, wow, $3.8 billion would go a long way in preventing um, and in health promotion so that we live a more healthier and longer life. Yeah, if we look at the flip side and think like the prevention part, 
and the promotion part is, is, is key. Then the second factor around like, you know, why, why do something about loneliness and older person is really back to humanity. If we kind of stop for a moment and think about a child, right? When a child is, is crying, frustrated, the child can't sometimes express what is wrong. So we're very empathetic. We go over, we ask questions and we try to help. But we don't often do that with the older person because of some of the assumptions that we have. The assumption that they have lived a lifetime already, they've come this far, they know what they're doing. If they need something, they'll come ask us, right? And the other perception is that, you know, we think that sometimes depression in old age is inevitable. When we get old, we're all going to be depressed one day. And the reason why we do that is, is, you know, sometimes we have certain uh, portrayal of older persons. You know, if, if we see an older person sitting at a park by themselves and the back is a bit hunched forward, they have a, a cane and they, they're not you know, very expressive, we said, boy, that must be a lonely person sitting there. But if we actually walk over, when we, as we walk by, we try to, you know, make eye contact, we have a nod and we have a smile, the person actually lights up. And some of this is the misconception that just because someone is hunching forward that they feel, you know, dejected or whatnot. But actually just with the, aging the body does that you know we all shrink a bit and, and we, we all hunch over and 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 the fact that you know the person doesn't have much expression is well because it would be quite strange if we have someone sitting in the park and start having animated conversations by themselves right so it's this whole notion that that there are certain perception and biases be it that we have that we end up not reaching out to the older person and the other flip side is that you know loneliness is a very strong internal feeling and there is some stigma that comes with that i mean if we think about it or that they're separated from others and that they're alone, they are alone, how likely is it that that person will reach out to someone? How hard it is for that person to go reach out to someone? They are abandoned and say, I, I, feel, I feel disconnected. I feel that, you know, uh, people around me don't want to talk to me. It's a very hard thing to talk about and there's a lot of stigma. So as part of humanity, you know, if, if we help the child who's vulnerable, we need to start thinking about some of the vulnerabilities that happen as we age and get older into our 70s and 80s. And what is it that can be done to help to, to kind of ask those questions, to, to kind of support. So humanity, it, it, to, to me, is a big part of it in terms of why we need to help. My, my grandmother always said to me, do unto others as you want done to you. And so I've been questioned to say, oh, why are you talking to Jimmy? He's a grumpy old man. And, and I said, you actually, you know what? Underneath that grumpiness, there's a great guy. You just got to take the time and speak with him. And, you know, I'd bring him a coffee or just how's it, how's it going? It was very simple because when I'm old, I want someone to do it for me, right? And just to acknowledge that I'm there. But then flip side too is I go to church and I say, we have a couple ladies who do live on their own. And I say, oh, do you want my boys to go over and rake, rake, rake the lawn for you? Oh no, you guys, your family is so busy, you know, Oh, don't don't I don't want to add to your busyness and so you know it's it's a it is a give take so those of us who are younger we need to make the effort to stop and say to, to high and stop our busyness but but again when off when help is offered then the person needs to say you know what yeah I'd like to have the young kids come in and rake my lawn and so it's that relationship humanity relationship so true it, it is that the relationship piece and reaching out as you said heather like even the examples you gave now about the coffee and the offer they're not big things but they would mean a lot to someone who would who would welcome that right so good on you those are the things that we need to happen yeah and um the third part it's why we need to address loneliness and older person is all about rights human rights you know you might think well, why are you talking about human rights well here here it is after world war ii you know all the nations came together 
and drafted a basic universal declaration of human rights, 30 rights for all of us, cover things like work, access to justice, uh, social security and whatnot. And then over time, we find that actually it's not enough because a civilization, we evolve, there are other situations, things become more complex. So even in the case of children, there's actually a uh, convention that's drafted specifically for the, the rights and protection of children. Within that, like the key themes of non-discrimination, you know, whatever action we take is in the best interest of a child, that we need to respect the child's views and, and what they say. You know, just because they're younger doesn't mean they don't, you know, they don't have a right to voice what they want or don't want. And then finally, the, the right to life, survival and development. So when we think of the, about that and going back to our, you know, some of our earlier conversations about a child being vulnerable, and needing now, needing now we see there are specific rights to protect them. Then why not the older person, right? So it's important that the older person understands like what rights they did already have, so that they can go and access, right? And it's not just the older person; it would be their family, their caregivers who work alongside with them or care for them, who can help to find those information that's needed. One is understand the rights, and secondly is to then say, well, something is still not enough. We need more to protect us or to to help us get to where we need to to live a good life. So now that we understand, um, you know, loneliness and why it's important, let's move to like, what, what can we do about it? How can we as a citizen, individual, family, or government, how can we help so that older persons are not lonely? So uh, why don't we start at the individual level? If I'm an older person who feels, you know, this is no longer just a funk I'm in, that I'm feeling more and more lonely, what do I do? So three things. So first is to acknowledge that, you know, I am feeling lonely because acknowledging is the first part to, you know, to any action. So just, just try to acknowledge that. Secondly is to ask for help. Dr. Carla Pernasiato in University of Southern California has studied loneliness for about 10 years. And, and to her, to do something about it is two steps. First is to address what's causing the loneliness. And then second is to go and start looking for or finding meaningful connections. So in Anna's case, you know, we know that one of the key ones is the fact that, you know, her husband has passed. So what is it that she can do about that? So if my family members are, are there to support, to have conversations, but maybe she needs a bit more. So the notion of maybe peer groups, talking to other people who's gone through the same experience would be helpful. So that's an example of addressing the underlying need. And then secondly, uh, having meaningful contact. And, and that doesn't mean just go and join and go volunteer and do a whole bunch of things and be busy with people. It's finding things that, you know, it's meaningful in terms of a social relationship, going back to the word relationship that you said, Heather. And, and, and in that, in the, Anna's case is she loved cooking. She loved inviting people over to her place. But now that she can't cook, she can still invite. So she just have to take that step and invite maybe some of her church friends over and say, hey, you know, maybe we'll do a potluck together or maybe you come cook in my house so that she can start to get, get reconnected in those ways to relationships that are important to her. So first is acknowledge. Second is do something about it. And third is, is really start asking for help, as we said earlier, you know, because for every one of us, there are certain things at a certain point in time when it's beyond ourselves. In that case, it's really going and asking the children, the church friends, you know, this is becoming very heavy. It's weighing on me. Uh, I can't deal with this by myself. Help me. And just say that. And then others will come in and do what can be done to, in terms of that support. So that's kind of like at the individual level, the things that can happen. And as family and friends, first is to look for the signs, right? That maybe loneliness, like consistent loneliness is creeping in. 
And, and some of the signs that's very key is for one, is the person uh, getting, the older person getting less sleep. Is because what happens is with loneliness, the lonelier someone is, the more fragmented the sleep will be. So is there, is, has the sleep pattern changed? Are they getting less sleep? Is the older, older person calling more, right? Like instead of two times a week, it's now every single day. Calling often actually means a sign that I want to reach out to other people. I want to be connected. So that's another sign to kind of look for. Then thirdly is the flip side. Maybe there are no phone calls. Instead of two times a week, I only hear from the older person once a week now, right? Because in that situation, the person is kind of cocooning in, as we talked about before, becoming more lonely, feeling that they're disconnected in their perception, right? That I'm really disconnected, so I cocoon in more. So look for some of these signs, then ask some questions, have some, you know, conversation, you know, in a relaxed environment about what's going on. You know, one of the key things is to ask, you know, maybe family physicians, community counselor, if it becomes chronic, like what are some of the ways to help? So I think family members will be looking for the signs, having those conversations, and then seeking help that's needed for the older person. And just again, putting my, my prevention or health promotion hat on, and I, and I do this for my mom, is really encouraging the social networks prior to. So mm-hmm. my mom is in, in her mid to late 60s, just really encouraging her to stay with the quilting group that she's part of. And, and I'm constantly finding things, hey, mom, you really like this. There's a new club here. Can I, you know, do, do you want me to go with you first? So building the social networks is so important before you actually get to the point, right? Mm, yes, so, so true. Because we're all, as humans, we are all social, right? So doing that early and maintaining the social worker or building new ones based on someone's, you know, interests, purpose, whatnot, like early on after retirement, during that transition, as you say, like, it's very, very important. Yeah. Well, because so. reti- retirement is, is huge because a lot of the times, and I know my social network is my, is my coworkers because I spend mm-hmm. all the time with them. And then you hit retirement and you don't have that, you have to redefine your social network. If you don't do that, then it runs down the next phase of life. And so that's preventing. <laughs> yeah, very good. Thank you. Thanks for that prevention hat. Because that's what we want, right? Prevention and, and timely, uh, uh, you know, addressing the, the issues so that we don't get into those bills that we talk about, the big economic dollars or the, or the human impact. Then if we kind of look beyond the, the family, you know, at, at the neighbors and, and, and community level, I think Heather earlier, you gave great examples of what someone can do within, within the community, right? To kind of extend and ask those questions or, or just to a, a smile or nod. I mean, a lot of times these little things add up in a big way in terms of having that feel that someone is part of the community and part of the human race. So it's very, very important. And then also, you know, if next time, you know, as we kind of generally read about the topic of loneliness, you know, think a bit about, you know, oh, who are, the lo- who are the older persons in my life? Like, you know, how are they doing lately? Are there anything that's kind of triggering to kind of start thinking and including those thoughts will be very helpful. In terms of organizations that serve older persons, be it for-profit, non-profit, I think one of the key things is learning about what loneliness is and what to do about it within the organization, that it becomes part of the toolkit of learning or training that happens so that they are ready to help identify signs. Because, you know, nowadays, it's great that we have a lot of programs that are offered as senior centers, community centers, neighborhood houses. So those are other touch points where we can start to help to identify and notice the signs. Another thing that all the senior servicing organizations can do is to come together and try to solve problems together. You know, one of the biggest thing in terms of increasing 
the likelihood of loneliness and social isolation is, you know, what we talk about today a lot about the digital divide, right? So someone in, in their 80s, we, we sit in their shoes, you know, technology is great, has come so far, but they haven't caught on to it. Even though everything that we do now, information is online. Talking to other people, it's like, you know, is it WhatsApp? Is it FaceTime? So all of those things, they, they need time to learn and pick up. And, you know, there needs to be the ability to pay for via the, the phone, the Android phone, the tablet, or the data line, right? So that's this whole discussion about digital divide and the impact on older person and, and isolation and the loneliness. So during COVID, there were some really great examples of what, you know, different groups came together, the government came together, telco, telecommunication companies like Telus and Rogers did some donation and, and whatnot. Even Best Buy came in, citizens groups came in, volunteers came in. I think, you know, I, I really love the work that Connected Canadians did in Ottawa in terms of, you know, like they ongoing, they already have a nonprofit that helps and teach uh, where younger folks teach older folks how to use laptops and, and tab mainly, mainly tablets. But it, they really accelerated their work at that time and really championed. So if we can have more of that working together and replicate across Canada, then we can actually help a lot in terms of this. And then lastly, you know, as our organization help to advocate in terms of policy changes or program changes related to loneliness, that would be a big part because they see work with older persons who might be vulnerable to loneliness on a daily basis. Going to organizations and one of the things I'd say is be creative. The generations that are coming up are wanting fun things like it's you know being creative and doing it different times and an example in a book that I read is a library that did virtual bowling. They did teams from other libraries brought people together in a safe space and but able to using technology connecting them to other people in like across the city that they would never connect to and then they had this rivalry going back and forth about our team's better than your team and just you know in that <laughs> sense of feeling young because you're out there and you're having that sense so being creative in our our programs and our activities i think will also help in addressing loneliness and not worrying about how it'll kind of all pan out that, you know, would it be 10 people versus 20 people show up? It's just to your point, just doing it and let it take its course and see how it grows. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Wonderful example. Maybe next we'll just highlight a bit of, about the government, what they have been doing, what we need to do more in, in the area of loneliness. So uh, there was a good effort around social isolation back in 2013 to 2017, where the National Council of Seniors, through the government's funding support, did kind of regional consultation as research around the topic of social isolation. So the outcome of that is a lot of good work around, you know, what type of programs we need to have in terms of information, like access to information. How do we then, you know, support some funding around like innovation? So some good work that we see today, right? That's good, kind of transpired. But as we have learned about the, the epidemic, someone would say it's an epidemic of loneliness, especially through COVID, that much more is needed in the area of loneliness. And, and one of the key ones, I think, is really from the government's point of view, acknowledging and putting uh, loneliness as a public health priority that make it front and center. Because it's not, while well, our topic today is about, you know, specifically about the older person, it affects all of us at all ages. 
even children, right, who hasn't been able to play with their friends. There's like that kind of impact there. So, so it is a public health priority. That's number one. And, and number two is, is aside from, you know, creating public awareness, is to then start giving ideas of what to do about it, make it more common knowledge. So that, yes, you were saying it earlier, Heather, that is really how the community as a whole can do different parts. It doesn't have to be big. It's not trying to tackle everything, but all, everyone can come together and rally around it. And another key one is looking at some of the programming and how do we increase funding. So two key areas, one is to what I said earlier, some older persons might be self-identifying that, you know, they have challenges with loneliness, but a lot are not. So how do we find ways to reach those older persons? And then secondly, is the counseling and rehabilitation program that needs to happen. It might sound counterintuitive, like why would a, an older person need like counseling with the be it a psychologist or just a counselor? Gone through so much in their life, they know everything. Well, no, 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 we're all humans. And this is an experience that's very individual. So that's why the help is needed there. So those are some of the things that the, the government of uh, at the local level, provincial level or national level can do. I know we talked about COVID. I actually think that those who are more later in life have already lived through something like this, right? And we have so much that we can learn from them that the organizations and the communities should be knocking on their doors and pulling them in to help us to move forward from COVID. So any last minute words that you want to say to the audience? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we've talked a lot and, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about the subject today on loneliness and, and older persons. And then we kind of went through very quickly some of the solutions and we might say, oh my gosh, it's so overwhelming. But to your point, you know, believe it or not, we've seen some really good things that come up, came out, unfortunately, from this pandemic experience in terms of how an older person or the communities have rallied around the topic of loneliness. For example, in the U.S., uh, in a nursing home, the residents say, well, this is really terrible. We're all kind of in our room. So we need to kind of get together and do something about it. So they actually created a podcast every week on music and it's called the radio recliner. So they sit in their recliner and they DJ their favorite songs. 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever it might be, right? And then they so make it available cool. on, yeah, on their website. So they're doing something for themselves and for others. Secondly, you know, if we look around the neighborhoods around us, a lot of groups have grassroots have kind of popped up and say, well, you know, we know older persons need to stay indoor. Let's help with the grocery. Let's pop by and say hello and do a bit of chit chat. So that community kind of aspect has happened. Uh, some governments have started to do some fun, some programs in a wider way. So for example, in BC, there's a very big effort around initiative called Safe Seniors and Stronger Communities, mm -hmm. where nonprofits gather volunteers working together and figure out based on the big geography of a province, like who, who can help with which territory er areas and do the meal prep, do the grocery delivery, do the friendly visits, you know, do virtual games or whatnot on you know, with Zoom, just different ways to help bring that social connection to the older person. And even our federal government did something quite amazing. During the time of COVID, United Nations said, you know, seeing what's happening with some of the issues around like how older persons are treated or not, you know, or neglected, uh, decided to say, well, we need to do write a policy brief to figure out what national, international, what we do. And, and Canada is one of the eight countries that said, okay, we're in, Let, let's, let's help create that policy. And within that policy, there's one particular section that focuses on the whole notion of strengthening social inclusion and solidarity for older person, and it's particular to the digital divide. And, and with that work, once it was done, it's very quick within a, a couple of weeks, then 140 countries around the world 
actually came together and signed it and said, yes, we will do this. So, you know, it really goes to show the lead that our, our government at the federal level did in terms of something that's really great for the older person. So I think there are signs that show us that it's positive that we can all at our different levels play a part, but we do need to move on the whole loneliness issue. In the UK, there's a loneliness of minister, as we know. There is a campaign to end loneliness for older persons. In the US, there's an unlonely project where they actually look at using creative musical arts and then, and then how it can work with people of all ages in terms of ending loneliness. So I think that with our early start, we have a good start in terms of community, individual, government. We need to build on that. That's great. And thank you so much. I think we can summarize this in four words, relationships, connections, creativity, and knowing your neighbor. This has been a great dialogue about the connections between older persons and loneliness. I want to thank Margaret for having this discussion with me today. This is just one of the discussions that we are having as part of this series on loneliness. To listen to other podcasts or for resources, please go to our website, tamraccommunity.ca.